Father, we thank you that you hear us. We thank you that your word teaches us that we should be still and know that you are God. That you don't need us to do anything for you to be you. You're not waiting for us to do exactly what you promised to do. Lord, we pray that you would saturate us in this moment with your presence. God, as your word promises about itself that it does not return void, that you would let it rain upon us, Lord, and you'd produce the fruit and the growth that you desire. God, I pray that we would get out of the way, that we would raise the sail to see the spirit move in ways that forms us as a community in which we trust, know, and follow your son, Jesus, upon your mission. Um, God, wow us with your presence, with the simplicity um, of being a follower of Christ in discipleship. And wow us with the miracle, Lord, of us being able to see and, and believe the words in which we hear from your, your word. And also, Lord, wow us with the sense of being able to see people come to know Jesus. God, we don't like silence because we usually have to deal with ourselves, usually the scariest person in the room. And God, we ask that you would humble us in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. That was good. That was good. And some of you tried clapping. didn't work that time. Um, so, no. Okay. So, it was good to be in silence. Uh, why don't you guys get, before I just keep talking, why don't you guys get your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to be at this morning. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised high. One of the ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's Word. Acts chapter 9. Um, is where we're going to be at. That silence, we did it the first, the first service. They went in a minute and 37 seconds. You guys went two minutes, just in case anybody wanted to know. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. The, my mic died on me last service, and I got another mic. It died on me, so we'll see. Maybe my voice will continue to carry. Um, a lot of sniffles, so some of you guys are sick. Um, you know how people are when, they, uh, when they're not, when they really are sick? What do they say? Oh, I'm not sick. It's what? It's allergies. No, you're sick, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's allergies. <laughs> so anyways, my allergies are messing. Hey guys, come on. So if you haven't been with us or if you were just joining with us last week for Easter, we've been in this week, 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 week long series of looking at the, the book of Acts. The book of Acts part two of a two volume series that Luke wrote. Luke is writing to a man named Theopolis about what Jesus did and then what Jesus continued to do with his church. And so what we see in Acts from the very beginning is Jesus is resurrected. He talks to his disciples. He says, I want you to remain here. Why? Because he's going to give them the spirit in such a way that God is going to continue his mission through his people as God has often done. That there's a preaching of the gospel that God would gather people to himself and then that group of people called the church would be nourished on the same gospel in which they believed to know God, that same good news centered around in Christ would also give them all what they need to be equipped to participate in the mission of God. Now, as that's happening and God is drawing men and women and children to his community, there's persecution or there's intense strife. And even in one case we saw, one believer in Christ has already been murdered for trusting in Jesus. And so this is serious, serious business. But what happens is they scatter. And as the people of God scatter, because they cannot help but teach and talk about the name and fame of Christ, that many people begin to hear about Jesus. Well, this was exactly what Jesus promised would happen. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says the Spirit will fall upon you and that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Well, now what Luke is showing us is how it gets to the ends of the earth. 
And then last week, we, we were reintroduced to a man named Saul, who himself, the way the story went, um, was going to persecute Christians. He found himself in Jerusalem. He wanted to go to Damascus. He got letters from high officials to be able to go to Christians in Damascus, drag them out that they may be persecuted, and if not such, even murdered. And so Paul got in this all-black SUV with all his friends. Um, they, they went from Jerusalem. They were going down to Damascus. All of a sudden, a bright light flashed upon them, and Paul went blind. Uh, someone came, knocked on the window, and he, Paul says, who are you? He says, this is Jesus. Show me your license and registrations. Uh, I have none. Jesus convicts him of who he is and says, when you get to Damascus, there's going to be a man there that's going to be waiting to heal you, and your eyes will be open, and you'll see all that I've planned for you. He goes to Damascus. There's this man, Ananias, there. God has to speak to Ananias. He goes, I want you to heal somebody. He's like, I'll heal anybody, whatever, whatever you want, Jesus. His name's Saul, except Saul, right? <laughs> and then God works with him, prepares him, prays for Saul. His eyes are enlightened, and now Saul is a believer, and then he gets baptized. He gets baptized into the family. So what we see now is often taught as the story of Paul. I want to be very clear. There is no, you can say this is Paul's story, but it's always in the Bible, God's story. And I know you know that I'm supposed to say that, but I need to say that because we will highlight the, uh, the apostle Paul or Peter or whoever it is. When Luke is not trying to highlight Paul, he's trying to tell the story of the acts of God, the father, his love, and sending us a son who sends us the spirit and how he has his people on a mission of which Paul and ourselves participate in. Now, it shows the story of Paul, but Paul just doesn't come out of nowhere. He doesn't just get, dis, just get raised in a vacuum and then all of a sudden goes around planting churches. There's a community that is nurtured in the gospel by the Spirit that forms Paul to be the missionary that he is. In the same way that we have to be a part of a community of faith in Christ to be able to participate in what God's doing. Meaning, Paul doesn't just stand on his, on his own like neither of us. We always are standing on somebody's shoulders. Like one of my favorite shows to watch outside of This Is Us, one of my favorite shows to watch is a series of the 30 for 30 on ESPN. And if you don't know what 30 for 30 is, it's all right, just missing out. So 30 for 30 is documentaries of just different stories of just athletes. And usually, for whatever reason, the first few were all athletes that I knew growing up and never knowing their backstory. And what I love about these, these, um, these documentaries is that they show you kind of the highs and lows of this particular athlete. And they show you their upbringing, they show you their family life, and so forth, to see what it was that got them into the position where they are being these extraordinary athletes. And it's the backstory that makes so much sense. So before we begin to understand Paul as a missionary, we've got to understand who were the people of whose shoulders that he was standing on? Like, who were the men and women that ultimately pointed him to Christ, who led him to Christ, who helped him be nurtured in Christ? And we're able to see that as we see his story, that it's ultimately God working through a people forming a community that produces our desire and boldness for evangelism. So if you're with me in Acts chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 19, uh, the latter part of verse 19. For some days he was, he speaking of Saul, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. So first thing we see is Paul gets baptized. Um, he comes to know Jesus and he's with the disciples. Like that's important. It isn't Jesus himself flashes his lights on him. He comes to know Jesus and all of a sudden he's preaching the gospel as it's often taught. No, no, no. Even Paul himself says, not in this particular account, but later in Galatians, man, I came to know Jesus. 
I went away to Arabia for a while. I got right over there. It was a lot of time. I came back to Damascus, and he was with the disciples. They don't give the disciples names. My, my assumption is, in this church, or these people, there's, there's probably some elderly men there that are saying, no, nah, no, nah, Paul, you need to calm down, all right? This is what the word of God says. And there's probably an elderly woman that is like, boy, sit down, let me, let me tell you how it really is, right? There's probably some people that are helping him understand this. You know why? He doesn't really know it. When you become a Christian, you know enough about Jesus to become a Christian. And we said this before, you know enough to share. But the rest of your life, we're always on a walk with Jesus and growing with him. Like, it's never like, oh, the guy preaching, he knows everything. I can tell you about this guy preaching. He don't know everything, right? <laughs> that there, there's a sense where we're not just getting to know more and more and more new things, although some of it's new. It's getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the word of God and with his people that, that ultimately together, looking at the scriptures, that it points to Christ. So here's what I think it will happen. Um, they said, Paul, why don't you come into our community? What are you guys doing? We're going through this true story project. We're reading the whole Old Testament. And they're like, what's the Old Testament? They're like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's no New Testament. The Bible. So they're reading it together. And as they're, as they're reading the Bible, they're starting to point it to Christ. Well, this would have mattered for Paul. Why? Because Paul was a Pharisee. And if you don't know about Pharisees, Pharisees knew the scriptures. They had memorized the scriptures over and over and over again. So he knew what it said. He didn't know whom it pointed to. So he had been schooled. Like Paul is a very um, privileged, affluent person. Like being from Tarsus, having the upbringing that he had, he was not lacking in the things of this world. But what he was lacking are the things that only God can give. That is the spirit of God and people around you that point you to Jesus. So here they are in the True Story Project, volume one, right? And they're pointing him to Jesus, and it is coming alive. So I don't know your story. I, I wish I knew all of your guys' stories. It'd be great. It'd be great. But I don't. But some of us that came to Christ, that had grown up around some sort of church, church experience, um, we, we, when we come to Jesus, the Bible becomes fresh to us. Some of us, we were never around the Bible, and so that we don't know the Bible stories, right? When I say little, like, VBS, vacation Bible school jokes, a lot of you laugh because you kind of know it. Some of you laugh, and you have no idea what I'm talking about. You're trying to fit in, right? <laughs> so my, when, I, when I first became a Christian, I had the privilege of being able to share the gospel with my roommate at the time, a dude who had grew up with me in L.A., had moved out here, and, and, and accepted Jesus. And he, I said, man, you're going to start reading the Bible? He goes, I'm reading the Bible, man. I'm going to start from the, from the very beginning and go all the way to the end. I'm like, go for it. You're not going to do it, but go for it, right? And so he's reading through Genesis. He comes out of his room. True story. Comes out of his room. He goes, did you know Adam and Eve were naked? And I'm like... <laughs> I was like, yeah, but why would you go there? Um, so, so he's reading, reading, goes back in his room, comes back out, probably around Genesis 6 now. He goes, so rainbows. God, wow. Wow. Man, man. And I'm like, you mean to tell me you've never heard the story of Noah and the ark? No, man, no, no, never. I, I, I didn't, man, I told you I didn't grow up going to church. I'm like, yeah, but if you grew up in America, you know what I mean? I mean that's like knockoff movies and stuff. I mean, let me, come on, man, don't you know? And so he has no idea. So he's, he's like clueless to this. But then there's people like me who I had been introduced to this Bible stories and so forth. I didn't really know them all, but I knew of them. I had been raised in a church. I remember when I went to college, my mom gave me a Bible, and a real Bible, like King James, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know someone's going, are we going to go to King James? No. But 
It's a real Bible. So I had the real Bible given to me, and I could never understand it. I could never understand it. When I became a Christian, it was one of those unique spiritual moments where I began to read the Bible and be able to understand it way more than I ever had. Like the same, the, word, the words didn't change. I did get a new translation. But <laughs> once, once I began to read the Bible, it began to make sense to me. And I was excited about it. Paul, who had known it way more than most of us in this room, begins to look at it afresh as his community. He was with the disciples. Everybody who's trying to follow Jesus with him, looking at the scriptures together in community, saying, this is how it points to Jesus. This is how it points to Jesus. You could just see Paul being like, I'm excited about this. What you going to do, Paul? I'm going to go to the synagogues and I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. You won't do it. Watch. So he goes to the synagogues. And the synagogues would have been the equivalent of us gathering on a Sunday. They used to go to Jerusalem, and there was a period um, after the exiles when they came back where they, they started having synagogues so that people would not have to travel all the way to Jerusalem. And in the synagogues, you would usually have a scroll that was there, and you didn't have every scripture there, but you would have different weeks, different scrolls, and whatever the scroll was, you would teach it. And so Paul must have gotten used to the point of being able to go wherever he was in the Old Testament and point it to the saving faith and Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so it says that he's there in a synagogue here, Continuing in verse 20, and it says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Okay, that's, that's unique for him to use that phrase. He doesn't say he is the savior of the world. He doesn't say he is Lord and savior, which he does in most of his writings. He says he is the son of God. Okay, this lets us know a few things. One, that Paul was able to draw back in his, in his Bible and be able to say, the one whom we've been looking for is actually here in Christ. And he's talking to the Jewish people who were sitting there waiting for the Messiah. He goes, wait no longer. He's already come. He's died and he was raised in such a way that you may have new life in him. Because the son of man was the most often used phrase in the Old Testament pointing to this Messiah. It was something that we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We see it in the Psalms, primarily in Psalm chapter 2 and 89. And so Paul is going, I went back and I begin to see it's him. And not only that, it's not just your Bible that comes alive to you, but you are able to interpret experiences in your life far different when you've come to know the Lord. That you can look back in things in your life and go, dang, that's what that was about. So Paul's experience was a couple chapters ago, he's in chapter 7, and there's a man named Stephen who just absolutely tells the biblical narrative and has it points to Christ. Passionately proclaims the good news to these men who want to kill him. And just before they stone him to death, it says that Paul's there. So he's hearing what he's saying. And Stephen says, oh, now I see it. The heavens are opened up, and I see the Son of God at his right hand. Paul had to be thinking of that, going, yeah, right. And then he, he co-signs his death. Now in Christ, new life, converted. Meaning God initiated the conversion. God himself had it, gave him a counter with Jesus, that now being converted, that you have a sense to be part of God's community, that is the church, and not just a part of the community. That conversion is not just, am I right with God? It's now being right with God by his grace, that you're commissioned by God to be sent. And Paul is now being sent in this moment saying, this Jesus truly is the son of God. And we would, we would love to read, and then everybody in the synagogue was like, praise Jesus. They were like, this guy? Like this guy. Continue reading, me with, continue reading with me right here. Verse 21. And all who heard him were amazed. And then they said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? 
And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased in all, more, all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ or that Jesus was the Messiah. So they're going, wow, that's amazing. Wait a minute. Isn't that Saul? Like, we heard about Saul. And mind you, the people in the synagogue, these are not uh, people who are believing in Christ. These are Jewish people who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But they're amazed at the way that he was able to point the text to Jesus. They're like, that boy can preach. But isn't he here to take some of these Christians, the people whose name now he's proclaiming, to drag them? Like, didn't he co-sign on, on death? Like, this is not, like, this guy, like, this guy right here? And there's something about being with people who know you from your past. Those of you guys who became adult converts, you know, some of the hardest people to share your faith with are the people who've known you the longest, right? You can't fake it with them. They're like, hey, we were there, right? Last night, my friend had a surprise birthday party. And so we went with the whole family, and it's all my boys, um, not my sons, uh, all my boys, and, and we were there, and all of a sudden, the old stories start coming out, and I'm getting nervous, like, oh, man, I think we got to go. I got to preach tomorrow, <laughs> right? And, and they always give me a hard time. Like, my friends, they call me the Rev. That's like the joke. I mean, like, it's, it's just, you know, they got their jokes. And one of them was like, oh, Rick. And I'm like, hey, man, let's easy on the stories right now. I'm here with my wife, my kids. Everything is good. And I know your stories, too. And I see you with your wife and kids. If you want to go there, we could go there. But, but, but I'm saved. So... My conversations with them are unique because they, they knew me. Like most of you guys met me as a Christian um, as opposed to before, before I was a Christian. And I was a good dude. I just, I just, I, I was, we had just different stories, right? Paul's now trying to share the gospel and people are like, I don't know, man. Like you, you used to, on one hand, it's amazing because it's going, we can't believe there's a change. This says less about the person. When you hear people's stories, Ricardo was like this, God did this, and I was like that. Wow, that's really cool. That's only really cool if the, if the praises are rolling up to God. Yeah. Like, it's only really cool if, if, if the praises are rolling up to God. Paul didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. God worked in your life, and that which you do, you only do in response to the life and love that he's given you. Like, it's a beautiful thing. And so, so for me personally, it's one of the reasons why I love being in this city because I came here as a non-Christ following person. God saved me here and I get to be back here preaching to people that honestly, 10, 15 years ago, preaching, I've been preaching a different gospel as opposed to the gospel here. And so Paul is confident and he doesn't stop. Like he doesn't stop. They're like, are you the one talking? He's like, wait, yeah, I'm going to talk, right? I would talk about Jesus. Why would you not talk? And they're just like, well, I don't know. And he says, Nowadays, everybody want to talk. But they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move their lips. Just a bunch of gibberish. That was old life. <laughs> they forgot about Dre. <laughs> so, Paul continues to preach Christ. And it says that he's strength, he strengthened all the more. And when it says he's strengthened all the more, it's not that, I mean, it's not like he's physically being strengthened because there was a point last week that it said that he had eaten. It's not talking about he's physically being strengthened. It means the more he continued to know about Christ, the more he began to tell people. And the more he began to tell you about Jesus, the more he became strengthened in it. Okay, we want to become a church that lives on the mission of God, that proclaims the word of God. We have to proclaim the word of God. Yeah. My, my track coach always say, how do I get faster? He goes, by running. <laughs> you ask somebody about reading. How do you get better at reading? By reading. 
How do you get better at sharing your faith? By sharing your faith. Thank you. The kids. Elliot, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. The kids get it. <laughs> by sharing your faith. By, that was honestly like the highlight of my day just now. That, that, was, that was awesome. That was awesome. Uh, <clears throat> we're back. So the Apostle Paul, right here, now says he continues to pre- preach and share the gospel. Well, the people don't like that. The people don't like that. Verse 23 here. It says this. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates, the, the gates day and night in order to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, luring him in a basket. And so now he's got to get out of there. Now let me pause here to give you some history. What Luke is doing, he's not doing history the way that we think about history. And that we just go chronologically, this happened, this happened, this happened. He's doing selective history. Most of the gospels are like this too. He's trying to tell a story of how God moved in his church. So it may seem like Paul drove down from Jerusalem, got saved, woke up, was in a Bible study, and then now he's sharing the gospel. There's years that could be happening here. And the reason why we know that is Paul talks about this same story in Galatians chapter 1. When he's trying to talk about the gospel, he says, this gospel that I received, he goes, let me just tell you, God did this in my life. And he goes, and I didn't just go talking to a bunch of people. This, this gospel came from Jesus. He goes, I was in Damascus, and then I went to Arabia for a long period of time, and I got right as people around me, again, the community, nurtured me. I came back to Damascus. I'm preaching the gospel. Now they want to kill me. I got to get out of there. And the way I get out of there is through a basket. I mean, there's literally, a, um, they're at the gates because that's the way the cities were, and there are people standing out their gate waiting for, like a bully after school, like, wait till you get out of recess. We're about to get him, right? <laughs> So he gets lowered through a window on a basket, like some treehouse type stuff. And then his friends let him down. They were like, run. He runs. He gets to Jerusalem. Now, it's at least three years since he's been in Jerusalem. Not like he just drove back up to Jerusalem. It's been a while. And you got to imagine, there's people in Jerusalem like, man, whatever, what happened to Saul? I thought he was supposed to go down to Damascus. Man, he's always taking forever, man. He's been saying he's on his way for a long time, right? He has not been back. Well, he comes back a completely changed man because of the encounter that he had with Christ. That the death and resurrection of Christ brought transformation to his life and every other man and child and woman who would believe in Jesus since. So now he escapes one place because they're trying to kill him. The other part we understand is when we read this, we have to read it a little slower to realize that when people are trying to kill him in, in this context, it literally means the same way we think about kill in our context, right? <laughs> Like, this is serious. This is not like, oh, they, by kill in the Greek, they meant uh, kill, right? <laughs> so this is some serious stuff, but he's saying, no, 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 I am called by the Lord. I'm called by the Lord. It's not safety that I'm pursuing here. It's ultimately participating in what God has for me. Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he, entered, he, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him in and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And so, so he leaves Damascus. He heads to Jerusalem. Talked about this last week. Just because God is doing a work in somebody's life, sometimes he's got to do a work in our life as the people to welcome into the fold. Like, they're afraid of Paul. 
and they should be afraid of Paul, right? They should be. The, the, the person who they knew before killed one of their friends, and he comes back, and he, and he thinks he's just going to walk in, it's going to be great, and they're like, uh-uh, we're afraid of you. And what happens? It says Barnabas stepped in. Everybody needs a Barnabas in their life, and everybody needs to be a Barnabas. <laughs> Barnabas, his name's Joseph. It means sons of encouragement. We first heard about Barnabas in chapter 4. They said Barnabas had a little bit of money and a little bit of extra land, and he sold one part of his land, and he took the money, and he gave it to the church. And this man is a reconciler. We're going to see that Paul later is going to partner with Barnabas, and they're going to do mission after mission after mission. We're going to see later that Paul kind of trips out a little bit and then leaves Barnabas. That's Paul issue. You really want to be somebody like somebody? Barnabas is the guy because he's the one who's going to stand in the gap for you. We need people to stand in the gap for us, and hear me, we need people, we need to be the people that stand in the gap for others. We need to be discipled, and we need people to disciple us. Who are you discipling, and who's discipling you? Paul had disciples that got him to where he was, that helped him get to the point even when he was in Jerusalem. He had somebody else that's willing to come on beside of him. And our understanding of discipleship sometimes is so individualistic, individualistically bad, so hard that it's even hard to say, right? And what I mean by that, we think that just because we see in scriptures, later we see Paul, disciples Titus and Timothy, that we need to be a Timothy, we need to be a Paul, which makes kind of sense. But really, when we first saw Paul's life, it says he was with the disciples, meaning it could be more than one person discipling you, right? If you're a parent, you should be discipling within your family and also with your friendships and with the community around you sitting around scriptures and saying, Lord, how do we follow this? Laughing, joking, and crying with. Like, who are the people that weep with you when you weep and laugh with you when you laugh? And then who do you weep with and who do you laugh with when they're in their situation? I was listening to a man talk about how he came to know Jesus. This is in Manhattan, in New York City. And it was so simple and yet so profound. And he was talking about his buddy who was standing next to him. And he says, he used to always invite me to church. And I'm just like, I'm not into the God thing. And I, but yet I watched his life and I watched the way he loved me as a friend. And there's one moment where we're in the middle of Manhattan and I had some bags in my hand. I had my kids and I needed to go to the bathroom. And, and he looks at me and goes, do you want me to hold your bag and watch your kids while you go to the bathroom? Like something really simple. And this man is telling your story and he can't help but tell it with tears in his eyes. He goes, they know that I have people in my life that can hold my bags and watch my kids while I could just go to the bathroom. Because in New York City, we don't, I, don't, I don't know a lot of people like that. And it, it made me start to think, he does this because of his faith in Jesus, who he believes holds him, <laughs> right? And he goes, and I start thinking, what about my kids? I want them to grow up in something like that, where they have people like this in their life that are able to hold their bags literally and then hold their ba- baggage spiritually. Amen. And that right there becomes a picture of saying, can, do we have people that we're, we're holding them emotionally, socially, financially, spiritually, that we're in their life and then likewise? Now, I would, especially on the emotional side of things, to be able to give yourself to people. Uh, I'm not going to say women are better at this or more natural at this, but women are more natural and better at this. <laughs> not in a perfect way, but in a better way. As guys, we need other men in our life in whom we can not just laugh with, we're pretty good at that, but weep with, that we can weep with, that you can be your truest self in the name of Jesus before another man and say, can you hold this for me, whatever it is. If that's not there, then we are lacking. 
right? If we are going to be a church that reaches the people who just live in the five-mile radius of this particular building, then that means they're going to be people who are just wildly different than us, that are with us, and not just in these, in these rows, but within circles in, which in, within, in life. That means we're going to have to listen. My assumption is that when Paul showed up on the scene, Barnabas didn't just go, oh, yeah, he's good, let's go. No. Paul, Paul tells us elsewhere, he showed up, and he didn't talk to anybody at first, and he didn't even go to any disciples. He was like, I'm not even, excuse me, the apostles. He didn't even go to the apostles. He showed up. Barnabas must have sought him out and said, hey, bro, let's sit down. Let's get some coffee. Let's talk about what's really good. He said it in Hebrew, though, right? <laughs> so they sat down, and he probably asked him about what happened. Tell me how God saved you. Tell me what it was like in Damascus. Tell me what it was like in Arabia. Tell me what it's like, Tell me what it's like to be you right? What is it like to be you? And then he said, you know what? I got some people I want you to meet. Paul says this, I only went to go meet, the only apostles he said he talked to was Peter, who at the time was the leader of the church. So he went and sat down with Peter and he says, and I sat down with, with, with James. James is Jesus's younger brother. I can only imagine Paul sitting down with, with James and like, hey man, what was it like being Jesus's younger brother? James been like, it was horrible, right? I mean, he's perfect and everything, but He's Jesus, right? This Jesus you heard about, like, he's real. This is what he was like in the flesh. This is what he's done. So Paul experiences that. And so now, um, when he goes and meets these disciples, he doesn't go on his own. He goes because he has Barnabas to be able to advocate for him, to stand in the gap in places where he could not stand and say, hey, this is my friend Paul. Here's what God's done in his life. Here's Peter. There's no difference between you guys. You guys are both saved by the grace of God. You guys should meet. Here's my friend James. Here's my friend Paul. And they meet each other. And then he comes into the church. And what does he start doing immediately then? He starts telling people about Jesus again. <laughs> and he starts proclaiming Jesus. And it says, now the Hellenists want to kill him. And you say, who are the Hellenists? They're not from Northern California, right? <laughs> Some of you get that. <clears throat> the Hellenists were Jewish people who were of Greek descent. Paul was a Hellenist. He was Jewish by culture and belief, but grew up in more Greek influence. And so these are the people he used to run with. I said, back then, never mind. And so, so they, they, now, now they're enemies. They're enemies, and they want to kill him. And so what do they say to Paul? Paul, you got to go again. It's interesting, in Stephen's case, the Lord allows him, for the sake of the gospel, to go forth to be martyred. In Paul's case, because he had a plan for you to take this to the Gentiles that he's constantly escaping. In this moment, they said, go to Caesarea, uh, however you pronounce that, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then go to Tarsus. Go to Tarsus, and that's home for him. And we don't hear about Paul for a couple more chapters and we pick back up here. But there's one little note here that Luke adds that I think highlights the community, the spirit, and the work of Christ, that how the mission of God is going forward, not just through one man. Read with me in verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. There, there's this beautiful picture here that says the way that this worked is as it went to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even though in the midst of circumstances that were a mess, people were running away for their lives. And yet he said there was peace. And it says they were built up. The language there is literally how one builds a house. That God himself was building the faith of his people by his spirit, by his people. <laughs> Working through us. I, I want us to understand this, that we cannot be a church if we don't have people in our life. 
The church in itself literally means the gathering of people, like God's people. It's not a building, it's not a place, it's a people that we are open to disciple one another. And we become indebted to these people, not in the sense that they're our saviors, but they, they help us. You guys have heard me say this before. The first person to disciple was a man named Eli, and I'm indebted to him. Like, no, no one in my first few years have meant more to me and my faith than him. I mean, the honest questions, the way he advocated for me, the way he loved me, the way that he would just welcome me in his house, the way we would just eat together, the way he taught me how to do things that I had never had taught, learn how to tie a tie, learn how to paint, learn how to cut bricks, stuff that I never did. And I honestly don't care if I ever do again. By the time, <laughs> it was just stuff that we were just doing. It wasn't just Bible studies. It was literally trying to learn what it looked like to be a man of God. And I don't think he talked me alongside and said, hey, I'm going to show you what it looks like to be a man of God. I forgot to say this earlier, if you want to look at a picture of discipleship. When it says that Barnabas brought Paul before the apostles, the language there is literally, he grabbed him by the hand and brought him. If you want a picture of discipleship, it is always in loving, appropriate, connecting, touching ways that we are with each other and ultimately advocating and pointing each other to Jesus and also to the other brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? And Luke shows us the ultimate church growth strategy. It's not good music, good preaching, good children's ministry. That's an American thing that needs to be repented of. It says here, it says in verse 31, and it says they had peace and were built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and comfort of the spirit, it multiplied. One, it walked in the fear of the Lord. They believed Jesus was Lord. And not fear like they were afraid of him, like they, 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 there was a reverence of who he was that he laid claim to the entirety of their life in every area, that he was Lord, and they worshiped him in reverence and fear. And then it says, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, meaning they were led and, and fueled by the Spirit. There's no other way for church growth unless it's God-initiated. Should we pray? Absolutely, but that's not how church grows. Should we evangelize? Absolutely, but that's not necessarily how church grows. Should we gather together? Should we take communion? Yeah, all of those things that God calls us to do, that's the way in which we raise the sail that the Holy Spirit would actually take the wind and move us exactly where he wants us to go as a church. As we follow him in obedience, trust in his grace, the Spirit will move in and through us that we may see the men and women in our community come to know Jesus and those in our community sent to other places throughout the state, throughout the world to share their faith and work, life, and deed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great grace and love that you've given us through your son, Jesus. I pray that you would bring men and women alongside of us, Lord, that we can emotionally carry and that they can emotionally carry us in the strength that you provide in Christ. Lord, strengthen us as a community to share our faith and in sharing our faith, Lord, that we become even more strengthened to preach and proclaim Jesus that we would have an imagination of what this community and city would look like when men and women and children are coming forth to receive and trust and follow Jesus. That you do in us, Lord, exceedingly more than we can think, ask, or even imagine. And that even in this morning, God, that you would draw people who do not even know you to the certainty of knowing you in Christ and knowing who, your love in Christ and receiving it by the Spirit. God, you've given us the power of the gospel, Lord, in which you called us not to be ashamed of. So help us to step into that faith and step into that boldness in all that we do, say, and think. In Christ's name, amen.